Welcome in to the 2QB Experience Podcast. My name is Greg Smith and I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. This is episode 85 of the 2QB XP and the fifth installment of the Two-A-Day series. If you've been listening to this series, you know what to expect at this point. Each episode is going to feature two different guests, typically pairing people from the same fantasy site or with some other sort of connection from within the fantasy community. And I'm trying to share with you, the listeners, a bunch of different takes on the quarterback position, quarterback draft strategy for all sorts of formats, you know, 1QB, 2QB, best ball, DFS, Dynasty, trying to hit on everything through the lens of all these different analysts. And today on the show, the first guest is Evan Silva of Roto World. We're going to talk about how next-gen stats have reshaped his approach to quarterback evaluations, as well as what jumped out to him while editing Warren Sharp's 2018 football preview. Today's second guest is TJ Hernandez of 4for4.com. And we're going to discuss quarterback strategy in DFS, as well as the importance of in-week research for all sorts of formats. Before we get to our guests, I want to remind you that the 2QBs.com 2018 draft guide is now available. Visit 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S.com, to see what sort of 2QB and Superflex goodness you're going to find inside the guide. For this episode, I want to highlight the draft guides article by John Proctor about Superflex DFS. He digs into how to target QBs based on contest type, pricing, and correlation trends. Proctor's article is only one of the guide's many unique angles uh, from a great group of writers on quarterback strategy that you're going to find. To get your copy and dominate your two quarterback leagues, head over to 2QBs.com, again, T-W-O-Q-B-S.com, and order today. 10% of each sale is going to go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and if you use coupon code DFS, you'll get 10% off. Make sure that you click proceed to checkout before entering that coupon code. If you enter that code on the cart screen, it's not going to work. We're trying to fix the issue, but for now, you can't apply the coupon code DFS until you get to the checkout screen. So make sure you do that. Otherwise, let's get to our guests. All right, I'd like to welcome in Evan Silva of Roto World to the show. Evan, welcome back to the podcast, man. It's good to have you back on. Yeah, man, it's great to be back. Love, uh, love talking ball with you, Greg. Yeah, man, and we're going to go deep on QBs. Uh, we're trying to keep it brief, so I'm going to jump right in. What is the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained through your work at Roto World? Well, there have been a couple. The, the first one is how much touchdown rate regression to the mean um, can we can use uh, as a predictive tool. Um, last year, I was really heavy on Russell Wilson. He was a prime touchdown regression candidate to the mean, and he hit pretty big, uh, led the NFL in – uh, passing scores uh, after having his career low touchdown rate the year before. Uh, and then Matt Ryan was an, another guy that was kind of easy to identify that he was going to have uh, regression. I think that his regression uh, in a negative manner was even worse than uh, anyone could have expected. Um, the the next-gen stats that, that they've started to come out with uh, in terms of like aggressiveness and willingness to throw into tight coverage, I think that that stuff is really interesting uh, last year, entering so Carson Wentz did not have a great rookie season. All in all, he started pretty hot, um, but you know he kind of tailed off, and he, he wasn't very useful in fantasy for like the last twelve weeks of the season. Uh, but one thing that I noticed about him is that he continued to be willing to throw into coverage. Now that can be that can have negative results, but it can also have very positive results. And I initially started off kind of down on Alshon Jeffrey for a number of reasons, but. Um, the more I looked into it, you know, he was a guy that was willing to throw to a receiver that doesn't necessarily create a lot of separation. And that's uh, how Elsh- how Elshon uh, has always played. Uh, so I was able to, like, elevate 
my ranking of Alshon and and he had a decent season. He, have, he didn't have a big season, but he scored nine touchdowns and he was pretty useful in fantasy. How much rushing stats matter? Um, you know, certainly for a guy who's you know even he goes through like struggles as a passer. Cam Newton, you know, he's the best example or the easiest example. But even for a guy like Blake Bortles, mm-hmm. you know, he can be useful in fantasy because of his rushing and the Jaguars over the course of last season, especially down the stretch and in the playoffs, uh, embraced using him more and more as a runner. And I like that for his outlook this year. How much supporting cast matters? You know, Alex Smith is a great example of this last year, had the best supporting cast of his career, had the best season of his career. Dak Prescott, his supporting cast fell apart as the season progressed and he was not useful in the second half of the season. And we've seen even Andy Dalton when he was at, you know, in his peak, when he had Muhammad Sanu, when he had Marvin Jones and Tyler Eifert and AJ Green and a good offensive line, he had, you know, moments where he was like a top five fantasy quarterback. He actually did have a top five fantasy quarterback finishing in points per game. Um, So that really matters. And then also how much interceptions really don't matter. Now this obviously differs from scoring system to, to scoring system, but, you know, I, I think that ultimately most scoring systems are just a minus one or a minus two, yep. and that doesn't really hurt you too bad. Yeah, we just had Scott Fish on the previous episode of this series, and he made a conscious effort in the Scott Fish Bowl this year to make interceptions more of a penalty, bumping them all the way up to negative four points, tacking on an additional minus two if it's a pick six. And I think that's a really interesting and creative way to try and you know, make that matter more in fantasy. Now, does it make for, you know, a better experience as a player? I'm not sure. Um, I want to dig in a little bit more to the next-gen stat stuff that you brought up because that's something I haven't talked with many people on this series about yet. To me, my concern has to do with, like, how sticky those are from year to year, especially when you're talking about throwing into tight windows. Like, intuitively, it seems to me like that sort of stat would not be repeatable year to year and maybe that's why it's a good stat to look at because we can look for outliers in that way what is your impression of that or have you seen any data to indicate how sticky you know tight window throws are for qbs no and i'm not even sure that you know we even have enough data on it yet because we only have it for two years i did think it was interesting though that even last year um and like i said you know i'm just starting to dig into this but Last year, Alex Smith was 40 out of 41 qualified quarterbacks in their aggressiveness rate, even though he had that monster season. He was throwing to open receivers, mm-hmm. you know, so that actually kind of does align with his career norms. Still was not throwing the ball into tight windows, you know, so now he goes to Washington and the separation numbers on Josh Doxson and Paul Richardson are pretty poor. And so that would be a concern. But I agree with you, you know, we, we definitely need to get more years under our belt um, and, you know, some great data analyst to really break it down. Like maybe Josh Hermsmeyer could start to look at this uh, and, you know, kind of inform and make us smarter. Yeah, some of the applications he's done with uh, his Game Speed app have been really cool to see. Yep. I, I can't wait to see what he does next. I'm, you know, a supporter of AirYards.com on Patreon. He's like, he's crushing it right now. I love to see what he's doing. Someone else who's crushing it year after year is Warren Sharp, and you helped edit his 2018 football preview. Can you give us a quarterback insight that you gained from your experience editing that that piece? Yeah, I think the Bears chapter is one of the most interesting ones um, because he just points out how suboptimal the Bears coaching staff decision-making was. 
Um, but in particular, just from a fantasy angle, and a lot of that stuff is just interesting from a real-life football angle, but from a fantasy angle, it was interesting that he pointed out how much more effective Mitchell Trubisky was throwing into the middle of the field. He was actually a top-five NFL passer when he was throwing into the middle of the field, but the Bears didn't throw into the middle of the field enough. Now, we can certainly look at you know the weapons that he had on the outside, which were very, very weak. Uh-huh. So it does make sense that he would be more effective targeting the middle of the field. He didn't exactly have great weapons in the middle of the field either. either. But even if you look back at his uh, college career at North Carolina, you know his number one receiver there was Ryan Switzer. And he was a slot receiver for the Tar Heels. And now if you look at the, the weapons that they put around Mitchell Trubisky, you know, Trey Burton, Anthony Miller, uh, Tarek Cohen, Adam Shaheen, I hope that he gets more run this year. All those guys can win in the middle of the field. Uh, and Anthony Miller in particular sticks out to me this year. I know this is a, a quarterback podcast, but, you know, we, we can extend it to just talking about individual players and, you know, how the Bears upgraded these certain positions that could help Mitchell Trubisky. Um, you know, Anthony Miller is going to be in that slot role where Ryan Switzer was so productive with Trubisky in college and where Kendall Wright last year led the team in receptions. Um, and then, you know, going away from uh, the Warren Sharp stuff, I, I like about Mitchell Trubisky his uh, rushing upside. Yeah. Um, he, he ran 4.67 coming out of college. And last year, despite not starting the whole year and, you know, the Bears running like the second fewest plays in the league, uh, he finished 13th among quarterbacks in rushing yards. So that's a, another kind of sneaky avenue where much Mitchell Trubisky could, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe flirt with a top 15 production if he stays healthy and everything kind of goes right uh, in this first year under Matt Nagy. Yeah, you mentioned all the different receiving options that he has now, especially in that middle portion of the field where he found so much so much success in college. It doesn't seem like all of those guys are going to be able to produce. Do you think that you know, right. I mean, just, you know, conservation of targets and all that. Like, do you think that who or who do you think is kind of the favorite to be left out of the mix uh, more than others? Or do you think it's just going to vary game to game? Um, it's a really good question. I'm kind of down on Allen Robinson. He has concerns outside of, you know, this stuff with the how Mitchell Trubisky is much better throwing in the middle of the field because he runs into that that risk of being the wide receiver who's changing teams and changing quarterbacks. And we see those guys fail a lot. Yep. You know, Kenny Britt, Deshaun Jackson failed last year. I mean, there's a laundry list of guys, Sammy Watkins. Terrell Pryor. Um, Terrell Pryor was a massive bust. Um, so he has that red flag, first of all. He's coming off a knee injury, which is another red flag. And we really haven't seen him play good football since 2015. So he, he's like a pretty big fade for me. I'm in a draft right now, and he just went as the wide receiver 15 overall. You know, I have him as like the wide receiver 32, so um, he's in a void. Yeah, wide receiver is just so deep right now, especially in that kind of just outside of the top tier, that kind of second and third tier of guys. It's really not worth paying up for the guys that you don't like. Now, if you like Allen Robinson as a listener and you think that he's going to be good, sure, go after him. But you know, if, if like Evan says, he's not really into Allen Robinson as a play, then it's pretty easy to avoid that and, and just go after somebody else in that wide receiver tier. He, he, he kind of strikes me as a guy that may really disappoint this year, and then we could buy him back next year. Yeah, and that's, I mean, classic fantasy strategy, right? I want to talk to you more about your, your quarterback strategy, though. And I love that you 
put your fingers into a lot of different types of formats. You play DFS, you play best ball, you play seasonal, you play dynasty. And I'm curious, like how these different types of games have cross pollinated your strategy when it comes to quarterback. Like for example, has best ball informed how you approach quarterback and DFS, vice versa, anything like that? Are there any other kind of through lines that you can draw from one format to another when it comes to QBs? I, I lean no. You know, in daily fantasy, I want home favorite quarterbacks that are facing defenses that don't bring much pressure. I, I did a kind of research project on this a couple of years ago, and I updated it last year. And the common thread between quarterbacks that were having the monster weeks was just comfort. So you want your quarterback to be in a comfortable situation. You want him to be at home or you want him to be playing in a dome or you want and you want him to be facing a defense that doesn't get after the quarterback. Um, and in those cases, you know, the the elite quarterbacks really, really capitalize. And the cheaper quarterbacks in DFS can be, you know, the quarterbacks that win you a tournament or win you, you know, your head-to-heads. Um, so, and so I love to get especially cheap quarterbacks in situations like that in DFS. But, you know, in season long, we don't always have the opportunity to find quarterbacks in those situations. We can apply that to streaming, though. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I look for when I'm streaming quarterbacks for sure. Uh, if they check all those boxes in best ball, I'm just trying to build a stable of two to three quarterbacks. Um, you know, many of my best ball, best, best ball teams over the years have had terrible quarterbacks. Um, so I think that at the end of the day, the, the lines to draw here are just how finding value and having patience, uh, is, is critical and trusting your process, whether it be daily fantasy, uh, with you know finding those quarterbacks that check the home favorite box that are uh, facing defenses that don't bring much pressure, quarterbacks that are in, in comfortable environments playing indoors, um, and then you know trusting your process with the the quarterback stable of two to three guys, ideally two to three cheap guys. Yeah, I like that. Um, you mentioned kind of going after those big monster weeks, and that is definitely the name of the game in DFS. In best ball, we also want to hit that. It's it's nice that we can get that from basically any level of quarterback. Like Alex Smith mm-hmm. was the QB2 through Week 16 last year. We saw Trevor Semyon put up a QB1 week last year. Like We see that sort of production from lower-tier players. But I'm curious, in best ball, how how do you know when to sprinkle in the more expensive QBs into your, you know, for lack of a better word, portfolio of players? Like I'm assuming that even though you're not actively targeting guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in the early rounds, every once in a while that player will slide like a little farther. Um, like, cause if, if I told you, like if, if Biff Tannen got out of the DeLorean and told you that Aaron Rodgers or whoever was going to have a season on the level of like 2013 Peyton Manning, when he was up around like 25 points per game, a bunch of 30 point weeks, like how much would that be worth to you if you had that knowledge? Like you, it would probably be worth like a first rounder, but you don't really have to pay first round price for Aaron Rodgers. You can wait until the third or the fourth. And so it's really a, a matter of like trying to weigh the probability of that type of season happening versus how often you're drafting that player. I'm curious, what's your process when it comes to picking up those more expensive guys? Like, do you do it at all? And if so, like, how do you decide when you're going to do it? I just don't do it at all. Okay. I mean, you know, we're we're getting into, you know, the tenth or eleventh round, and that's when I'm starting to look at quarterbacks. Like, I literally don't even look at my quarterback list until we get into the double digit rounds. Then I start looking, and maybe you know, if a Jimmy Garoppolo pops up in the eleventh round for some reason, 
uh, I'll be willing to pull the trigger, but usually not. I mean, I would rather take a shot on, you know, a wide receiver five that I think has upside or even an RB five that has upside or a tight, you know, a second tight end that I like in that 11th round than even taking a guy like, like Jimmy Garoppolo, um, even though I love Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I like it. I mean, you're preaching to the late-round quarterback choir with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in a uh, best ball draft with some of the guys at 4-for-4 four four right now, and I, I was taking, like, Aaron Jones before I was taking the quarterback. So, right. yeah, that's those are the types of picks we're looking to make. Um, let's, let's talk specifically about the quarterback position, though. Who do you think is 2018's most overvalued QB? I hate to say this, but I think it's Russell Wilson. I think he, after, you know, being kind of due for that touchdown rate uh, positive regression last year, he's probably due uh, for some negative regression back toward the mean this year. Uh, the Brian Schottenheimer effect is scary. Uh, the offensive line is still bad. Uh, Doug Baldwin just got hurt. You know, Pete Carroll is saying that he's optimistic that Doug Baldwin will be ready for week one, but Doug or Pete Carroll has never been a trustworthy guy when it comes to injury information. Nope. Maybe the least trustworthy guy in the league. Um, and then, you know, if Doug Baldwin's banged up, they don't have very much else. You know, their tight end depth chart is terrible. Ed Dixon, Nick Vanette, uh, Tyler Lockett has been a disappointment. I, he is a guy that I draft late um, just based on opportunity, but – you know, he really hasn't been a great receiver so far. His, his game speed, if you look at that on, on airyards.com, it's shocking how slow Tyler Lockett has been really for the last two seasons. Uh, and then Russell Wilson's still going in the single-digit rounds. I recently dropped him out of my, my top tier, and he has shown a great floor. His worst-ever finish was quarterback 11, uh, and his pass attempts have risen each year in the league. And I don't know that they're going to be able to execute this Brian Schottenheimer run heavy plan. And so they may enter a lot of situations in the second half where they're down and Russell Wilson has to bring them back, which by the way, happened a ton last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with this, with the supporting cast, they just have not put enough around him. Um, and I think that he is not someone that I'm willing to take pretty much at all this year, you know, certainly relative to his ADP. Let's go the other way. Who's the most undervalued QB right now? I like Matt Ryan and Marcus Mariota. They both checks the check the box for um, being uh, you know, candidates to regress back toward the mean in uh, in terms of touchdown rate. Matt Ryan's touchdown rate last year was three point eight percent after being seven point one percent in two thousand sixteen. If he had just matched his career touchdown rate, which uh, is 4.6%, he would have thrown four and a half more touchdown passes last year, which would have been a big, big difference nice. yeah. for Matt Ryan. Uh, Marcus Mariota's touchdown rate in his first two seasons was 5.5%, which is the same as Tom Brady's career touchdown rate. Last year fell all the way to 2.9%, one of the worst marks in the league. Um, so I think he's just going to get that natural uh, statistical positive uh, movement, his coaching improved, I think. I really like Matt LaFleur. I like the potential of Matt LaFleur, at least the, the idea of him. And his health is going to be a big factor because um, – and it wasn't just him coming off that broken leg. Early in the season, he pulled a hamstring, and then in five of his next six games, he had single-digit rushing yards. So that was a huge dent in his – you know, one of his main calling cards – uh, his r- r- rushing ability, uh, Matt Ryan, you know, the Falcons were third in the NFL in yards per play and third in the NFL in yards per drive last year, but they were 15th in scoring. So 
again, I think that regression is going to help here just for the offense as a whole. They added Calvin Ridley. Their three-receiver set uh, looks stronger. I think that Austin Hooper, Hooper has room for improvement uh, in his third year. Both of these teams have pretty good offensive lines. You know, the, the Falcons bring back, I think, four or five starters, and they added another guy, Brandon Fusco. Uh, and no one wants these guys, especially Matt Ryan. People don't want yeah. to draft Matt Ryan this year. And so I'm very willing to pull the trigger on him. I think that I'm going to end up owning him a lot in redraft leagues. Yeah, that yards per drive versus scoring efficiency you talked about with the Falcons is is pretty interesting. Does that mean you're also a little bit more bullish on Julio Jones than the consensus? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the people kind of dog Julio Jones, but he still ends up being a top five receiver drafted in every draft. But I, but I am. I mean, I think that he's going to score six, seven, eight touchdowns and not score three again. Yeah, I mean, where does he rank for you among that top tier? Are you still drafting him behind, you know, Brown, Beckham, and Hopkins, or or does he leapfrog any of those guys? Yeah, I have him wide receiver four. Antonio Brown is one. DeAndre Hopkins is two. Odell Beckham three, and then Julio Jones four. Nice, I like it. Um, who's the toughest quarterback for you to evaluate for this season? It's got to be Deshaun Watson, because he outscored the field by six points per game during his starts, which that's a true quarterback difference maker because, you know, you look at the end of year, you know, quarterback points per game, and it's like everyone's separated by a half point or, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just you don't see people outscoring other, you know, you don't see quarterbacks outscoring the entire field by six points per game. I mean, that's absurd. Um, but he got away with a really high rate of interceptable passes uh, his defense just fell apart last year. This year, they get back J.J. Watt. They get back Whitney Merciless. Um, you know, so they may not be in as many shootout scenarios. He's coming off a second ACL tear. You know, the the reports have all been super, super positive. And I mean, I'm not like doubting them, but it's still concerning that a guy who leans so much on his legs and his movement ability in the pocket, and you know, his sheer rushing prowess, his scrambling ability, is has now torn his ACL twice. You combine that with, I mean, I think they have the worst offensive line in the league, and that's a little bit, that's more than a little bit scary. Um, but, you know, he, he was so freaking good that it makes you wonder, you know, and I have him really high because his ceiling is so high. And I think that if you're going to take a quarterback in the early rounds, you better take someone who can be like a, a true league winner. And I do think that he has shown that he at least has the potential to do that. So I have him really, really high, but I'm not getting him myself anywhere. Yeah. The problem for me is just resolving the price because we can, we right. have to assume some amount of regression. The question is how much. And when he's going as the QB two, yes, he has that ceiling, but I don't like to pay for ceiling in my drafts. You're, you're down on Wilson. You're nebulous on Watson. How do you compare those two players? Would you draft Watson ahead of Wilson right now? Yeah, absolutely. I have Deshaun Watson in the first tier as my quarterback four and Russell Wilson uh, atop the second tier at quarterback five. So, I mean, they have a lot of the same concerns, right? You talked about bad O-line, you know, uh, I mean, with Russell Wilson, the defense is going to be bad. It looks like with Watson, it looks like the defense is going to be a lot better this season. Is, Is that the key factor for you? Or is the key factor that Hopkins is healthy? Like, what elevates Watson ahead? Because I think when we're talking about these elite guys, we're really splitting hairs. But I'm I'm always curious to hear like what smart people like you are doing to kind of differentiate between these guys that we know are both great. Yeah, definitely the weapons. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, 
Uh, Will Fuller, I think, is you know had he, he flashed. I mean, they didn't even practice together. Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller didn't even practice together last year. You know, Deshaun Watson was the number two. He was you know taking the second team reps all preseason and all uh, OTAs and minicamp. Will Fuller was with the ones. Then will they go to training camp? Will Fuller breaks his collarbone like on the second or third day of camp, doesn't return until I believe it was week four. They, they got in four games together. Will Fuller scores seven touchdowns. Now, I don't expect that to continue, but I've always been a really big fan of Will Fuller. Um, and, you know, I love that pairing, that just kind of configuration with um, you know, Will Fuller being kind of like the, the lid lifter, deep guy, and uh, DeAndre Hopkins being that like unstoppable technician. And Deshaun Watson, as a rookie, um, had the highest percentage of throws of 20-plus yards in the NFL, just 20-plus yard attempts. And so that suits uh, Will Fuller's game very, very well. And it suits that ceiling that you're chasing, like you talked about earlier. You already mentioned where you kind of like to jump in in your best ball drafts, like that round, the double-digit rounds, like round 11, round 12, to where you're going to start targeting QBs. I'm curious about your two quarterback strategy. And I know in the past when you've come on the show, you haven't, you know, played a ton of super flex or two quarterback, but in general, kind of in the abstract, like where do you see yourself starting to jump into that position? And you can frame it however you want by the draft round, by the type of player, by the number of quarterbacks who have already been drafted. When do you start targeting the position or or when would you win a two quarterback draft? Yeah, I do probably one or two uh, quarterback or two quarterback slash super flex leagues each year, which I'm sure I'm sure is less than you know a lot of people that are reading stuff on two QBs.com. So my experience is is more li- more limited, but um, I did a draft recently. Uh, I think it was last week, and I just used a tiering system. So you kind of like let the draft kind of come to you. And pay close attention to, you know, are there only two guys left in this tier? I want to make sure that I get one of them. And, you know, but, hey, if there are six guys left in this tier or, you know, four guys, you know, maybe I can wait until the next round and try to get that last guy in that tier. So I wound up getting Drew Brees in the sixth, Matt Ryan in the ninth, and then Ryan Tannehill in the later double-digit rounds. And I felt really good about that. And I felt really good about how the rest of my roster uh, panned out. So I, I really liked using the, the tiering system uh, in that two quarterback league draft. Yep. I love it. I do that as well. I definitely tier my QBs and I can tell that that was a, a sharp draft you were in by those prices you mentioned on those quarterbacks. Cause that's a lot yeah. later than uh, you know, our listeners are probably going to see in their drafts, but that's, yeah, I was actually very surprised that I was able to get Drew Brees in the sixth. That's people crazy. were very patient taking, taking quarterbacks in that draft. Yeah, that, I mean, that almost screams to be too patient to me in a two-quarterback format. But um, you never know. We'll see how that plays out for you. Um, when it comes down to, like, really scraping the bottom of the barrel, like targeting, like, uh, you know, the, the worst quarterback you'd be fine with starting, like, where, where does that point lie for you in a 1QB league? It's just all matchup-based. You know, I'm willing to start Ryan Tannehill against the Browns. Um, Eli Manning plays the Cowboys in Week 2. I think that he'll be... Uh, on the radar, then uh, Alex Smith against bad defenses has paid dividends more often than not over the years. You know, Derek Carr. I'm willing to start anyone basically um, that is, you know, has like job security that isn't entering the week at risk of being benched during the game. 
Um, as long as, you know, they, again, they checked the boxes that I'm looking for mm-hmm. when I'm just trying to evaluate a player, in, you know, for, in, a, in a one game setting. So when it comes time to draft your QB in like a seasonal league, I assume that if you're taking that sort of I'm going to stream approach, you're probably looking at early season schedules pretty closely. Is there one player whose yeah. early whose early season schedule really jumps out to you as being uh, favorable and a guy that you're more willing to target, maybe a little higher in a draft than you would otherwise? Yeah, Matthew Stafford and it's like, I think his first five or seven games look really, really enticing on paper. It doesn't mean that I, I've been getting him a lot because, you know, people take him like ninth, 10th round. And again, I'm not really looking at, at, at quarterbacks then, but Matthew Stafford's early season schedule really stuck out to me as favorable. Um, and I think that as I start to do more of the redraft, you know, basic season long, I will probably start to gravitate toward him more if I can get him in the 10th. Nice. So which quarterbacks do you find yourself drafting the most often right now? If you're missing out on Stafford, like who who's there that you are picking for the most part? You know, most of the drafts that I've done so far have been best ball. And like I said before, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking cheap guys Um, from my fourth tier. The guys I've been getting are a little bit of Jared Goff, um, he goes later than I was expecting him to in a lot of drafts. Sometimes you get him in the 13th. Alex Smith, I, I get a ton of him. Um, I just, I think he's got a high floor. I like Jay Gruden's history with quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have, you know, if, if Chris Thompson and Jordan Reed stay healthy, I think that Alex Smith can, can really outkick his ADP. And certainly not to the extent where he's the overall QB three or whatever he was last year. But, you know, he's with the quarterback 17 or something like that in ADP. And, and if I could get, you know, a quarterback 9 or even a quarterback 11 finish out of him, I would feel really good about that. And then Dak Prescott, um, who was the quarterback 1 overall in the first half of last season and then was the quarterback 19 the rest of the way. The offensive line kind of fell apart. They didn't have Zeke Elliott. And, you know, Dak Prescott with that rushing ability – he should be better than, than the way that he finished. And he goes really, really late. And he started to be a guy that I've been taking a lot of. Um, and I take a lot of Blake Bortles because you can get him in like the 15th round. Yeah, Bortles is essentially free. Prescott, I agree, is, is gotten a little undervalued somehow, despite the fact that he, for the first half of last season, you know, when everything was, the, when the situation was okay, he was pretty damn good. Um, how do you see those weapons shaking out for him? Like, are you targeting any of his receivers or are you leaning on him more for just the rushing upside and the floor that he provides? Oh, that's one of the toughest pass catcher cores to try to, you know, delineate what is going to happen. Yep. Uh, Marquise Lee is the only guy I've really been taken very much of. He goes, you know, 12th round, 13th round. Uh, he's never been a big upside guy, but I think his targets are pretty secure. They gave him a decent contract this off season Four years, $38 million. Uh, he's averaged 6.7 targets per game over the past couple of years. And I just think he's like a stable wide receiver five slash wide receiver six. But, I mean, you've got DJ Shark, who they used, you know, a second-round pick on. Um, they paid a ton of money to Dante Moncrief. He's barely practicing camp due to a knee injury. Um, that's going to end up looking like a disaster signing in all likelihood. D.D. Westbrook was well ahead of Keelan Cole uh, in the playoffs last year, was 
you know, outsnapped him by a large, large margin. But at the same time, Keelan Cole showed us a lot um, as a rookie. And even at tight end, you know, they've got ASJ and Niles Paul. So, and, and it's a run first offense. So it's like, I think it's a situation to largely avoid. Um, I don't really think that any pass catcher there is going to emerge as like a big time fantasy asset. No, I might have misspoke, and I do that all the time on the podcast. But I was I was trying to ask you actually about the uh, the Dallas receivers. Um, oh, but that's okay. okay. I mean, that's good well, stuff it's on like Jacksonville. The same exact situation. I know that that's it was funny because I was like, yeah, that does make sense because it's the same problem on both teams. Like all these receivers seem like they're just not going to be very good. But how, how are you parsing through that? Are you ending up with any of those guys? No, like zero of those guys. Okay. I mean, you got Alan Hearns, who hey, guess what? He's hurt again, and he's also missed eleven games over the past two seasons. Cole Beasley has reached 50 yards in one of his last 21 games. Terrence Williams hasn't scored a touchdown in 17 games. I really like Michael Gallup, but the Cowboys are, like, really conservative. Like, they're trying to bring him along conservatively. I guess they think that Blake Jarwin is good uh, as a tight end. They refuse to, you know, try to commit to Rico Gathers as a weapon there. Um, They've never really even used Ezekiel Elliott in the passing game. He's only averaged 2.3 targets per game uh, since entering the league. So it's it's a, a nightmare to try to parse that out. And, um, again, run first team, so it's very similar situation to the Jaguars. Yeah, I, th- I think the answer there is just going to be it's going to be a lot of Zeke. And we got to hope that yep. he can hold up. And, and I think that that's probably, you know, reason if you want to kind of buy into that, you could take Zeke one overall. You could take him two overall ahead of some of those other, you know, top-tier running backs. I'm really curious to see how he does, considering the fact that there aren't a whole lot of receiving weapons to keep that offense honest. Um, Evan, thanks very much for your time. Do you have any other thoughts on analyzing QBs or draft strategy for the quarterback position that you want to impart to the listeners before we take off here? No, man, uh, not really. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on the show, and um, I hope we get a chance to hang out uh, once again. We've hung out a couple of times, and I've always had a blast uh, hanging out with you, man. Yeah, man, we're going to do it again. Uh, before we go, say something nice about this episode's other guest, TJ Hernandez. Uh, yeah, TJ's a great dude, man. I've, I've hung with him twice, too. Uh, he came and met me and my brother in downtown Chicago one day, and we were uh, watching the Warriors' Cavs, and I had some money on the Cavs, and I was, like, you know, really, really tilting, and we were, like, drinking <laughs> champagne. We, we were drinking, like, expensive champagne, and... uh uh, we had a blast, and then we got to hang out, all uh, three of us and uh, a bunch of other dudes, Ben, Gretsch, et cetera. Uh, we got to hang out in Los Angeles. T- but TJ is just a super, super laid-back guy, super, super smart, um, and a lot of fun to, to be around. Yeah, man, L.A. was a ton of fun. Let's get to my conversation with TJ right now. All right, now I'd like to welcome in TJ Hernandez of 444.com. TJ, first time on the 2QB Experience, man. Welcome in. Thanks for coming. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of uh, the whole 2QB side, obviously. Got uh, you and, and Sal doing some work at 4 for 4, so we got some nice crossover there, and I just like the work you guys are doing, so excited to be here, dude. Hey, man, thanks for saying that. Well, um, we're trying to keep these tight. I'm just going to jump right in. In your time at 4 for 4, what has been the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained? 
Uh, I think it's probably across all positions and, and to, to the advanced listener, uh, probably not new, but I think there's still a lot of uh, casual fantasy players that don't really understand how much touchdown rates vary from year to year, no matter the position. And I mean, that manifests itself in, in a lot of things, mainly inflated or deflated ADPs because quarterback fantasy uh, scoring is, is heavily weighted by those touchdowns. But uh, I've, I've really found out, and I, I don't think it's it's a, a shocker to anyone that these touchdown rates uh, tend to regress, whereas volume and yardage really doesn't change that much for quarterbacks, especially if they're staying on the same team, staying in the same system. Uh, I mean, even even guys like Aaron Rodgers, the difference between a a six and a half uh, percent touchdown rate and and a five percent touchdown rate, which he's he's fluctuated between over his career, uh, that could have a really big difference in where these quarterbacks are finishing in in terms of fantasy points scored, and obviously uh, that that rolls over to ADP. So it's it's definitely something to take note of the the regression. Uh, we talk about it a lot, but I, I think it's really really important. Yeah, and that is kind of a recurring theme through this series of the guests that I've had so far. And I'm curious, is there a quarterback regression candidate out there that you think might be flying under the radar a little bit? Because, I mean, everybody can talk about Deshaun Watson because his TD rate last year was just otherworldly. But is there somebody else who maybe we aren't tabbing as as much or as often as a QB a regression candidate who you think might be due for some? Yeah, I mean, uh, Deshaun's obviously the obvious one, but uh, Carson Wentz is pretty similar uh, in terms of rate just way above average and above expectation. I I do a series on 4 for 4 that looks at a metric that I run called red zone expectation, red zone expected value, and that basically quantifies exactly how many points or touchdowns every player should be scoring. And uh, Watson, he only – I'm sorry, Wentz, he only played – what 13 games and he still scored the most points over expectation of any quarterback over the last three years and this whole offense is kind of due for regression not just Wentz they uh the the Eagles ranked uh ninth and tenth in uh yards per drive and percent of drives that made it to the red zone but they still finished uh third in percent of drives that ended in a touchdown so they're Offense is still efficient. Top 10 is very, very good, but they were they played a little bit over their head in terms of uh, scoring rates and, and a little over that expectation. So uh, Wentz is one that because Watson was so out of this world, I don't think people realize how, how much back-to-earth Wentz might come as well, but uh, he's a guy that's being drafted like a top three or four quarterback, and I don't know that he can necessarily sustain that. Do you care that those two guys did it so early in their careers does that matter to you the fact that Watson did it in year one and Wetz did it in year two like because generally when we see you know rookies and second year players pop like that I mean we can say they're due for a regression but they're also probably still pretty good players like yeah how does how does that factor out for you well I think we just have to compare it to other greats that we've seen right so if we look at someone like Wentz touchdown rate around seven and a half percent and then look at Watson a touchdown rate of over nine percent the I think second highest uh, in a single season since the merger we know they're not going to maintain that right so Watson even if you bounce back to like an Aaron Rodgers level you're still looking at six percent a three percent drop in touchdown rate is huge Uh, for Wentz one and a half points in in touchdown rate drop that's a really big difference so I 
I do think it's important that that it happened earlier in their career uh, because when when I'm drafting players and talking about upside, a lot of people get trapped in the the shiny new toy, not just of quarterbacks, of anybody, and they say he has upside because he's an X offense with this scheme. But I still want those players that I've I've seen do it before for at least a stretch, right? So mm-hmm. someone, so an example might be a, a Cameron Meredith. He was the the wide receiver two over the entire final month of 2016, which is the last time he was healthy. So I'd rather take him over someone if if I'm choosing between him and um, I don't know another good example like a Chris Godwin, who I love this year too. I'd still rather have Meredith because I've seen him do it before. That goes for the quarterbacks as well. The difference with these quarterbacks is. Their price just can't justify that that risk that that's uh, that comes with that impending regression. So yeah, they they do have upside over I don't know probably ninety percent of the quarterbacks that you're going to be starting. But paying a, a top seven round price for a quarterback just doesn't make sense. So when you're factoring in regression for Wentz and Watson, like how far down like quarterback rankings would they slide for you? Like, and this isn't going to necessarily affect ADP. Like, you still are sure. going to value them less than the crowd. But where would you rank them like relative to these other top QBs? Because right now Watson is like the QB two. Wentz is up there in the top five or six. Like, I, I'm with you. I think they should both probably be more in like that seven to ten range. If, yeah. if I had my way, is that is that where you're at too? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the Wentz is a little different because uh, I obviously haven't seen too much of traditional redraft. People are just starting to kind of fire those up. But I have seen Wentz fall to, I don't know, the ninth or tenth round in some best ball drafts. Uh, and you need to get two quarterbacks. So I don't mind paying that price and having some exposure to a guy who is a mobile quarterback who is going to rush for a decent amount of yards. Whereas Watson... I mean, he's just never going to fall to that point in, in draft from, from what I've seen so far. So even if I do knock him down to my personal, uh, say, QB6, you're just never going to get him there, there where Wentz. If you're, if he's, you're getting him as a QB6 and, and there's no skill position players that you're excited about in that ninth or 10th round, I'm fine with it. Nice, yeah. I want to switch gears here a little bit and talk about DFS with you. And yeah. I'm curious, does your quarterback strategy vary across the different platforms like FanDuel, DraftKings, uh, PlayDraft, uh, and and so on? And like, how does it vary, or why why doesn't it vary? Like, where are you at? You know, when it comes to playing it at different uh, or in different formats. I, I think it has to, and it really comes down to scoring system, and I think it's something that people really fail to account for across all positions, not just quarterback. Uh, and we'll just look at FanDuel and DraftKings for DFS since they are the most popular. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, one thing people really fail to realize is how much points are fluctuate based on FanDuel, which uh, really favors touchdown upside because they don't have the DraftKings bonus and DraftKings, they have the 300 yard bonus so it mitigates some of that that touchdown reliance so on FanDuel, you really need to be looking at uh red zone volume red zone efficiency how often teams are have scoring opportunities because even if they put up that big yardage number that three points might not sound like much, but that's often the difference between uh, hitting value and not hitting value. And I say the three points, that's a bonus for, for DraftKings, and that's almost a rushing touchdown. So we talk about this all the time with quarterbacks. Oh, they're going to get you 30, 40 yards on the ground. They have a safe floor. Where if, you, if your quarterback has a chance to throw for 300 yards – on DraftKings, and and I mean that just depends. Are they a high volume quarterback? Are they not going to turn the ball over? Is it offense that relies heavily on the passing game? That chance to get that 300 yards, that extra three points, 
is the difference in possibly hitting value. And you don't have that safety net on FanDuel. You need to pay a little bit more attention to that potential touchdown opportunity. So I imagine that that red zone efficiency series that you do on 4 for 4 is pretty handy when it comes to looking at FanDuel scoring. Like, does that help you identify some QBs who stand out in that format? Especially early in the season when when we pinpoint these guys that are due for some positive regression, or you can look at it the other way and look at quarterbacks to fade. But if you have these guys that – uh, really underperformed in the red zone last year and they're just due to bounce back in terms of scoring that's probably going to manifest itself over the entire course of the season and, and if it starts early on those players are, are probably going to have a somewhat depressed salary at the very least if it's not depressed right now it's it's going to spike when they start performing up to their expectations so we want to take advantage of that early in the season and then you can run similar numbers uh, throughout the season obviously you, you want to wait till you know exactly what's going on you probably need a six or seven game sample size before you're running any in-season regression analysis but it's something to pay attention to for sure so when you look at dfs and then you look at other formats like best ball Mm -hmm. or redraft or or dynasty or whatever can you draw any through lines from one type of format to another when it comes to quarterback strategy has like one type of format impacted how you approach the position in a different format I, th- I think there's just a lot of crossover from any game type that you're playing. You can learn and take something to another game type. And uh, the the most broad example for me is that when you're playing DFS, e- even if you're only playing $20 a week, it requires so much in-week research. You have to dig into every single aspect because you have access to this entire player pool. You know everything that's going on across all teams so it makes those start sit or waiver wire decisions very very easy but to to a more uh, some more specific concepts uh things i wasn't doing early in my uh fantasy football career was paying attention to things like uh vegas lines and implied point total something that's very obvious in in dfs and i don't think it's completely crossed over to the uh mainstream uh redraft crowd yet uh a lot of people that are that are taking in content might not be aware that they should be targeting quarterbacks that are favorites that have higher implied point totals and then if we flip that around there's still concepts from redraft that you can learn uh and take to dfs i mean the most obvious being quarterback streaming playing these cheap quarterbacks drafting these cheap quarterbacks you can you can take that to dfs and it is it's it's very analogous to paying down for quarterback on a weekly level because quarterback scoring is very flat it's a very predictable position based on matchups uh and and based on efficiency that defenses allow so there's there's a lot of overlap those are just a a couple obvious concepts but uh it, it goes it goes even further than that Yep, and that can filter into our best ball drafts as well mm-hmm. in terms of targeting the position late and just kind of trying to stack up two or three guys who could pop um, as opposed to going after the expensive players. But I, I asked this question to Evan Silva, uh, the other guest on this episode, and I want to pose it to you as well because you know we, we talk about a lot about waiting at, on QB, but we also talk about like in best ball trying to get a like a diverse set of players, right? Making sure mm-hmm. that we're checking a lot of boxes. And I'm curious how often, if at all, you are actually willing to dive in on those elite QBs, the guys who are more expensive, because if we find a guy who could produce at the level of like a 2013 Peyton Manning, like that is probably worth a high draft pick. We just don't yeah. know when that's going to happen. And I'm curious, like when you're trying to weigh the probability of that type of season happening, like 
what does that equate to in terms of your you know best ball portfolio for lack of a better word in terms of how often you take that type of player yeah i don't know if i'm i'm exactly going to answer the question because i i don't think i'm i'm making draft picks um necessarily based on because i think one player has a slightly higher percentage of having like deshaun watson season again i like the 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 where that lands on a a a regular bell curve the difference is so small between players that i don't think you can really show it in your your portfolio but uh this kind of goes back to the original question of where's the overlap and i think that uh plain dfs you get a lot of nuance in your best ball strategy that you won't get if you've only played redraft because best ball looks a lot like redraft it doesn't look a lot like dfs but i'm looking for value so those expensive quarterbacks i'm taking them when they fall it's it's as simple as that i'm i'm playing so many leagues that it's naturally going to uh work itself out that in a small percentage of my leagues maybe 10 percent aaron Rodgers is going to fall around past his adp so i'm going to take him there 100 percent of the time because those are the most profitable times to take him same with deshaun watson same with any player really in the top seven or eight rounds i'm just looking for those cheap or cheaper opportunities to acquire those players and then they have that upside built in that's why they're going so high and i just let that work itself out through um through normal uh distribution of my drafts i like it let's just pivot to general quarterback analysis here who's 2018's most overvalued qb yeah, I think we kind of touched on it a bit. Um, Deshaun Watson's the most obvious one, but uh, Carson Wentz is up there as well. There's just two guys that I just haven't found myself drafting that much. I mentioned uh, the regression rates for both of them. Uh, Deshaun Watson is, I mean, you could argue that we've already seen the most productive stretch of his entire career. Uh, he had five straight games of at least 22 fantasy points. That's only been done uh, 12 times ever by a quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers is the only one to do that more than once. Uh, another thing that people haven't talked a lot about, Deshaun Watson, because his stats were so inflated, he had the third highest interception rate of all quarterbacks with at yep. least uh, 200 passing attempts last year. No one's talking about that. Like Those, turnover, those turnovers that quarterbacks make are so so detrimental to not just their fantasy upside but to their teams because you only get i don't maybe what 10 possessions in a game and if you're losing two or three of those to turnovers you just lose so much upside and put yourself in such negative game script and i think that's a a real concern for watson he's chucking it downfield a lot of tight window throws uh deep throws are very high variance and he was on the good side of that variance but he threw at the uh at a deep rate higher than any other quarterback in the league by i think three or four percent which is a big difference considering most guys the top guys are like 23 percent deep rate so when you're throwing 26 27 percent deep rate uh there's going to be a lot of variance in your in your year to year and game to game stats i'm really glad you pointed out that int rate for watson because that's something i've been harping on in this series so far and Mm -hmm. as we're recording this only one of the episodes has come out so uh yeah i i am talking about it it's just people haven't heard it yet but uh, by the time they hear this they'll know um (laughs) but i like it uh who's 2018's most undervalued quarterback uh, for me, it's pretty easily Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, he's due for positive touchdown regression, like we've mentioned. That has a lot to do with him being a rookie last year, uh, him just not having a lot of weapons and being stuck in a, a pretty oppressive offensive system. But if we look at what the Bears have done this offseason, it's all really been focused on not just making this a better passing offense, but making it easier on Mitch Trubisky. Uh, 
Allen Robinson, such an obvious great guy to add for a quarterback that struggled in the red zone last year. Trey Burton, we still don't know totally what he is because he just doesn't have a big sample size. But uh, we've seen what Matt Nagy has done in uh, Kansas City with obviously a very, very talented tight end in Travis Kelsey. But Burton's apparently that move tight end that everybody likes to talk about. And Anthony Miller's been in Preston camp. They're talking about him possibly leading the team in targets. Uh, You already mentioned Evan Silva. Evan Silva's on that train. So that all shapes up really well for Trubisky. And then Nagy just seems like that that McVay, Doug Peterson, just forward-thinking coach, uh, comes from an offense that ranked top five in neutral and red zone passing rate last year, taking over that Chicago offense that was uh, tops in the league in rushing rate in pretty much every situation. And uh, it's, I, I really like what Chicago's put around Trubisky this year. Who's your toughest evaluation to quarterback right now? Uh, the easy answer is Andrew Luck because we just don't know what his health looks like, but that's for obvious reasons. I think, uh, maybe a less popular one is, is Jimmy Garoppolo. Everybody's just kind of crowning Garoppolo as like this top 10 fantasy quarterback. He had a limited sample size last year. The Niners got on a little bit of a run. Uh, I guess you could say it was because of Garoppolo, but they just ran into some really, really game, uh, great game script down the stretch last year. I think they won seven of their last eight games, and and most of that was, was by a pretty significant margin. So let's see Garoppolo over the entire course of the season without that fantastic game script. Uh, it's taken quarterbacks a couple years to get acclimated to a Shanahan system. I, I guess you could call this Garoppolo second year, but also he got traded in the middle of last year and, and still just, this is his first full training camp with Shanahan. So I, we saw it with Matt Ryan, it took till the second year. So do you consider this Garoppolo second year with Shanahan? Sure. But it's, it's, it's kind of like halfway through his first year. Uh, the offensive weapons around him, they're, they're good. I like Goodwin a lot. We don't know what uh, Garcon's going to be coming off the injury. And Shanahan, he likes to give a really big chunk of touches to the running backs. It's usually near tops in the league. His, his backfields perform really well in terms of volume and efficiency. So uh, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about Garoppolo and not just automatically putting him as, as a top-tier guy like a lot of people are. So I'm going to pivot away from QBs because you brought up the running game there in San Francisco. How do you see that shaking out? Because McKinnon is a guy who's steadily risen up ADP as the offseason has played out. Like I think he's regularly going like towards the end of the second round. Um, sometimes he's still slipping into the third, I guess. But mm-hmm. are you comfortable with him at that price? Because that seems a little steep based on the way that Shanahan has used multiple backs in the past. Well, what are you doing with McKinnon? Uh, do you see value in Matt Breida or anything else? Like, What's your take on that backfield? I think they're both fine at their ADPs. I mean, people talk about using two quarterbacks. I mean, I'm sorry, two running backs and and automatically write it off to uh, the the more expensive guy not having upside. But two years ago, um, the Falcons ran a, a very similar offense to what I'm expecting from the Niners in terms of volume and splits with their running backs. Uh, this is an offense that, like that Falcons team, I think is going to meet and probably exceed 500 total running back touches. And with that, we saw Devontae Freeman exceed 300 touches, even though he was somewhere between like that 56 and 59% of backfield share. And I think that's what that could be this year. I think we, I think McKinnon could get to that 275 to 300 touch range and still leave Breda 
I don't two hundred ish touches. I mean, that's great for both of those guys. You're getting a, a third round running back that can approach three hundred touches, and then obviously Braid is a, a crazy value. He's being taken in I don't know what the thirteenth round or something. He's at the end of every one of my drafts, pretty much one of my favorite picks. So this isn't a handcuff situation. People need to get out of the either or sentiment. You can have two nice things in one place, and I think that's what we have here. Yep, I'm targeting Breda for the same reasons, just because it, it doesn't seem like the crowd is caught up to the fact that it could just be a proper committee and that he isn't, mm-hmm. like you said, just a handcuff. Uh, back to quarterbacks, what's the typical price point at which you start to consider drafting them? And let's start with like one quarterback formats or best ball formats. Like, Where are you diving into the position? So in in one quarterback league, one quarterback and, and best ball is very very different because the price of of quarterbacks driven up in best ball because everybody needs to roster at least two or should be rostering two and a lot of people are rostering three so uh, those some of these guys that you'll see in the twelfth thirteenth even fourteenth round of redraft leagues are going in sometimes the tenth round of of best ball leagues you just kind of have to evaluate uh, by by that draft flow but in a a traditional one quarterback league with say sixteen rounds where a lot of people aren't aren't going to be uh, drafting a quarterback or drafting a backup quarterback. Uh, I usually pinpoint one or two guys that I'm looking to fall significantly past their ADP. This year, those guys are, are Drew Brees and Cam Newton. If I see either of them fall to, say, the the ninth round, uh, then I'm, I'm jumping all over that. And after that, I'm pretty much just waiting out the crowd and, and letting people think that they need to fill a roster slot while I'm just loading up on those more valuable skill positions that are more likely to, to win me a league. I'd much rather have um, – uh, an 11th round running back than just get the 11th quarterback because everyone else has already taken one. That running back, if he hits, is more likely to win me my league. A lot of times, if I get past that Cam Newton, Drew Brees point, and people, are, I'll just let the quarterback runs happen, and I'll just wait to be the the last guy in my league to take a quarterback. Sometimes, again, if it's like a 16 team league, sometimes if the uh, league allows for it, I won't even draft one. Yeah, pouncing on Newton and Breeze has been a recurring theme because they are those two players who we've seen give that top five, top three upside. But because Wentz and Watson are those shiny new toys, they tend to fall down ADP a little bit. And that's that's the epitome or the, like the definition of value, right? That's, that's exactly what yeah. we're looking for. How about in two quarterback formats? Where do you start to look at the QB position there? Is it similar? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's quite as similar. I think depending on my where I'm, I'm drafting, um, I will take some some early guys, especially if it's like a, a, a six point passing league, which people probably evaluate the wrong way. What that does is really just kind of diminish the rushing quarterback. It doesn't necessarily yep. put their Aaron Rodgers like that much more over guys. The quarterback's still pretty flat. Um, but I mean, like I this this is a little out of the realm of this question. But if you're in a super flex and like point per rushing first down, Aaron Rodgers is like a clear first round pick. Yep. Uh, so if I'm at the back end of of the first round, if I'm at the turn in like a 12 or a 14 league, I'll consider Aaron Rodgers there. Uh, my general strategy in two QB leagues is get two guys that I'm pretty confident aren't going to uh, sit at all. They have no risk of losing their starting job that are likely to start all 16 games and then a third guy with upside or maybe stream that QB three position to fill uh, bye weeks when I can, but I'm, I'm still trying to get value in those, in those two quarterback leagues, but I'm kind of approaching it like I would um, tight ends in a one in, in a regular league where if those top three guys fall a little bit, then I'll, I'll pounce on them. Otherwise I'll wait. 
Yeah, it's all about kind of finding those elite talents at, at any given position. Like, that's why mm-hmm. we take the high-end running backs so highly. That's why we target, like, after they're gone, that's why we start to target Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham and Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. And you can look at quarterback the same way. It's like there are only a handful of guys who are really, you know, going to elevate themselves above the crowd with that, you know, weekly upside. It's Rodgers, it's Brady, it's Breeze, it's Newton, it's Russell Wilson, and that's kind of it. And so after, you know, the elite talents at the other positions are gone in a two quarterback format. That's when I think you you can at least start to consider, you know, drafting a quarterback. And so it's going to vary from person to person, like your comfort level with waiting. And I think that's a really good kind of way to frame it that you did there. Um, kind of across all different types of formats that you've been drafting, which quarterbacks are you ending up with the most often? Is there one guy or there are a couple guys you want to pinpoint? I already talked about Trubisky, uh, but someone that kind of has really similar comps in terms of what their team has done and, and uh, how they can they can rise just through regression and, and a change in philosophy is Marcus Mariota. Uh, I've been landing Trubisky and Mariota a lot. Matt LaFleur coming over over from the Rams, bringing some of those concepts uh, and, and replacing the uh, Mike Malarkey horrible offense that we had to watch for the last couple of years. Uh, I, I know I think Corey Davis got banged up in camp today, but he's a guy that I think is going to ascend. We know Delaney Walker is a great target. Uh, Deion Lewis, great out of the backfield as well. And then uh, Rashard Matthews, who's actually the cheapest starter in that offense, is, is a really nice target for Mariota as well. So I, I like the shift in philosophy. Uh, I like the weapons around Mariota. And I, I think we um, he was very efficient his first two years people forget that because yep. last year was kind of kind of ugly and it was the pendulum swung back a little bit too far but again i talked about it at the top of the show i want to at least grab guys that i've seen do it before we've seen mariota score at a crazy efficient rate just the volume hasn't been there so if we can marry those two things with a, a creative system he has a chance to uh, really outperform expectations is there a quarterback you wish you could draft more often like a guy who you like but for whatever reason the you know, the consensus seems to like him just a little bit more routinely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the consensus likes him more, but Drew Brees is just, I, it's not so much that I don't like Drew Brees. It's just, I don't like drafting a quarterback where Drew Brees is being drafted. So I wish he would fall uh, a little bit more often than he does. I don't, I'm I'm very curious to see what ADP does this month when we get the huge influx of casual drafters because uh, he's a guy that I really like. That offense was um, – you can't say it was stymied because they were phenomenal last year, but their passing game was just lower than uh, than what we've come to expect from a Sean Payton and a, and a Drew Brees offense, and I think a lot of that had to do with the lack of a, a true number two. But now with, uh, with Ingram starting the season uh, suspended and with Cam Meredith, who I already mentioned – who I think is going to be a very reliable number two. I think we see those passing numbers go back to uh, more of that 2014, 2015 rate where they're throwing more than 60% of the time. Yeah, it should be fun to watch that offense this year. I'm really looking forward to that. It's it's crazy when like Ben Watson represents an upgrade at tight end. That's, that's... <laughs> I know, I know, and uh, like I've I've had to just like close my eyes and click on him a couple of times. But <laughs> but in best ball, when you can just get basically like seven free touchdowns, it's like whatever. Yeah, why not? Um, TJ, this has been awesome. Do you have any other thoughts on analyzing quarterbacks or draft strategy for the position that you want to share with the listeners before we take off? Uh, I, I think one thing that, that people really need to, to note going into drafts, and this this has been the case for a couple of years, but uh, in the middle of drafts, especially live drafts, people see those runs and get so nervous, but uh, – Four for four projections are probably similar to a lot of projections in that 
like quarterback 10 to like quarterback 23 are separated by like 10 projected points. And I think that's very representative of how, how flat the curve is in terms of quarterback scoring. Uh, obviously you want to target some of those guys we mentioned that have upside, but don't just click quarterback because you need to fill that roster spot. And it's just something that casual drafters do so much. They're, they're in such a hurry to fill out that starting lineup and that's just not a way to win a league. So if you're, especially if, if you're like in a 15 or 16 round league and you're, it's a 12, 12 team league. If 11 quarterbacks come off the board, you don't have to take a 12 quarterback in the next round. You could actually wait a long time and dare people to take backup. So that's just always think about that going into your drafts. Yeah. I think a good rule of thumb is like, you don't really have to draft a quarterback until someone else drafts two of them in a one. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And and that's probably the right point to get in is because right there in that like QB 13 to QB 20 range is where you can really find the value relative to the crowd. Um, Last thing before we go, TJ, say something nice about this episode's other guest, Mr. Evan Silva. (laughs) Uh, I mean, where do I start? Evan's a guy that is actually a friend in real life. So, uh, Beyond all the football stuff, my most uh, memorable and most fun live meetups, whether it's a conference or just a random meetup, have have been with Evan. And this is the biggest compliment I could give to anyone. It's probably a good thing I only see him two or three times a year. <laughs> I like it. I, I recorded with him right before you, and he was talking about uh, drinking champagne and, and watching basketball <laughs> in Chicago. So yeah, I won't uh, I won't get into details of of uh, Evan balling out at the bar during a uh, playoff basketball, but that was that was a good one. Oh man, good stuff. Well, hey, uh, thanks again, TJ. It was great having you on, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on soon. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. And that does it for this two-a-day. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, The 2QB Experience. Be sure you follow Evan Silva on Twitter, at Evan Silva, as well as TJ Hernandez, at TJ Hernandez. Check out the show description for links to their work, and head over to 2QBs.com to pick up your copy of our 2018 2QB and Superflex Draft Guide. You can follow the site on Twitter, at 2QBs. You can follow me on Twitter, at Greg Sauce. Whether you're tweeting at us, emailing us at 2QBs at gmail.com, or typing our URL into your browser, spell out 2QBs with letters, T-W-O-Q-B-S. That does it. Thanks for listening. Adios. Adios.